Hot round. Red seven. Red seven. Red seven. Don. What? Red seven. I don't know what red seven means. Hot round. I don't. What is hot round? Will you just go stand on the other side, please? Billy Bob. This is it. The man who got us here. You ready? You don't think that lame-ass play where I run down the field and act like I'm lost is going to work, do you? Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide-open tailback. I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. Booyah! That's what we call a sack lunch! Nom, 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 nom. I need that ball. Get me the ball. You need the ball. Get me the ball. Get me the ball. Are you going to get me the oh, ball? Oh, get you the ball! Get me the ball! I hope he didn't kill somebody. Welcome in to a brand new edition of 11 Personnel. Nick Roush here with you, and as well as Adam Luckett. And if you can't tell, my voice is exponentially deeper today because, like, we just finished uh, talk, doing a little list of cuffs with uh, Hank Bramblett and the fine folks at Funkhauser. And Hank's deep voice has me intimidated thoroughly. Hank's a pro's pro, my man. He really could do game show hosting for a living, like the game show network. How have you not hired this guy yet? Is the game show network still around? Oh, my brother-in-law, he'll watch it all day if you let him. I don't have it on my YouTube TV subscription. I might need to call in and do a little complaining. That was a staple yeah. as a kid growing up watching that. They've got a, a game now that's like kind of a version of Listicuffs and kind of a version of Family Feud called America Says. I don't know what the name of the dude is that hosts it, but he's it's it's a it's a fun th- that one's pretty fun. Um, but man, some of them on there they just go on and on. None of them are as good as Listicuffs though. Which uh, keeping up with tradition, uh, it was the longest episode of the season because that's what happens when I go on there. And uh, we can't reveal what exactly happened. That will be released Wednesday night on KSR's YouTube channel and KentuckySportsRadio.com. But like it, we got some good categories. And I, I got to say, I'm impressed with our knowledge for the most part. We got down to the bare bones on a few of the categories. So definitely get some good back and forth between me and you um, with uh, some uh, some surprises thrown in there. Yeah, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm not going to pat you on the back. Good job, Nick. <laughs> I, will, I will pat myself on the back as well. There we go. Yeah, we can't be uh, – come on. We're not giving up participation trophies over here. Can't be patting each other on the back. But I encourage you all, uh, after you listen to this podcast, go check out the list of cuffs. Uh, if nothing else, you can also you know, always just play it in the background if you want to. Uh, later on, we're going to get to a conversation with Boogie Watson that I'm sure you will enjoy. But first, Adam Luckett, uh, the the kind of – I know last week we, we did the thing where it was like, all right, let's just keep it all football. We're going to keep it nice and light. But this week we do have to be a little bit more on the serious side because college football has been kind of a uh, – uh, wait, what's the, the – I think the, the best way to say it is the chickens are roosting for some of these programs where uh, they they handle their business a certain way, and that's no longer acceptable um, for you to kind of treat people in a certain light. And that, that's been the direct result of the protests that have swept through America. And uh, you, you saw Kentucky football and Mark Stoops uh, participate in one of their own Friday afternoon through downtown Lexington. College football is officially in the year 2020 now. I think we can – Fairly say. Uh, we can start off with um, what Kentucky did, which was... Good. They, good, yes. <laughs> yeah. they, they organized the march with what looked like most of the coaches, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. And what they have, you think, 40 or so players um, that went and marched downtown. Then I think they... I believe they did this, as some other teams did, where they, they kneeled for, I think it's eight minutes and 40-something seconds. Yeah, eight forty six. Yeah, believe. which was the amount of time um, that a uh, police officer in Minneapolis had his knee on George Floyd's neck, I believe. And so um, they went out there as a team, and Stute spoke with um, some members of the media, and pretty much mm-hmm. said, "You know, this this is a cause that matters to me, um, and I'm going to stand with my players," kind of thing. And so Kentucky, along with some other schools, I believe Arkansas did it with Sam Pittman. 
Mm-hmm. You had Eli Drinkowitz and his guys did it. Um, they went to, I think, the courthouse or something and marched and took a knee. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Muschamp, Muschamp did it with South Carolina. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then you had another end of the spectrum where he didn't really announce it until or uh, recognize it until today. That was Dabo Swinney, Clemson. We're recording on Monday evening. And some other schools that kind of got caught up in some crossfire for not doing enough. Doing enough, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, So Kentucky stoops. You you hear him talk about it all the time that he's a player's kind of coach. That's what people talk about him. And I mean, he walked the walk. um, Quite quite literally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and look, I think that. Uh, I, I was, A, uh, it was one of those things where I was trying to reflect on it a little bit uh, after the fact. Um, and throughout this process, there's been a, uh, you can't just try to go for the clout and the tweets and the interactions right away. I feel like that's shallow um, and that's a little bit too, you know, people process it in different ways. And I don't want to be the one out there trying to just tweet through it um, like, like, some people may try. So I, I took some time to try to process it. And I think that's kind of Mark Stoops' reaction is exactly what I would come to know to expect um, from, from, from Mark Stoops where he says a statement and then he backs it up with action. In his statement, he kind of had one of those uh, – you know, it, I, I wouldn't say generic, but he had a very kind of Stoops-like statement. And then a few days later, he gets together and he goes to work. And, and that's what Stoops knows best. And I, I think, look, at this really was the best, well, not the best way or closest way, but we don't always get to see how Stoops is uh, behind closed doors. We don't know how he interacts with his players. But, you know, he says all the time, we got to go back to work. And, and, you know, once a year, he'll come up with some sort of new little quip that he'll use. Uh, like one, one year it was, we're knocking down doors. And then he just could not stop saying it after that. Uh, this, he came up with one this time. And I don't know if it was Brad White who actually came up with it first. Um, but I know I saw that in his initial notes post was that, you know, the, the, the time, we can't sit on the sideline for this one. It's time to get up and do something about it. And, and that is right up Mark Stoops' alley um, because he's a doer. He's not a talker. He can give a rat's ass about talking. That's why he's not out there trying to, you know, get all close to the media so they'll put him up there in the top 25. You know, he, he he's not playing those media games. He just wants to go and do about it, be about it, don't talk about it. And that's what he did Friday. And uh, I thought it was the, the perfect uh, remedy uh, for the situation, that's not to say he solved the problem. Or, you know, racism isn't dead because of Mark Stoops' walk, but I, I think it really shows where he stands, where uh, his players are, and kind of uh, a lot about where where the program currently is and and how they relate to their players. We've seen Mark Stoops recently be hit with something that really called upon to action. We saw it when the kid uh, was hit by a drunk driver outside the stadium and where they kind of dedicated, you know, the season to that kid. And he, he really kind of stepped up and, you know, became involved with that and didn't just give, you know, the canned answers with that kind of step, stepped up and made that a big deal. And then and what, what I don't want to uh, just briefly, he also did the thing where like the entire team went to the kid's funeral and like served as pallbearers and like they just didn't tell the media, they didn't invite the media, they didn't share any pictures, they just did it and went. So they do they do all that and then mm-hmm. they had his family pretty much involved in the entire season and which would end up being an historic season, Tim Win season. Mm-hmm. And then right. this then this happens where you've seen other coaches, other programs Kind of drag their heels on it, where they, where they decided to get hands on, get front and center, and to get out there with with his guys and take care of his guys, to be there for his guys. And so, we've seen some really you know strong leadership uh, qualities from him, and um, for the university, I think that's a good step to make because I'm 
let's not Kentucky does have a history with this. I mean, there's no there's no real hiding from it. There's four statues um, mm-hmm. that they built over there by the football facility to to recognize and to show people that they were one of the first in the SEC to break that color barrier. Right. So. So I just think it was a really good moment um, for the program, but not only just for the program, for those players. And we're, we're, we're entering a different era here, Nick, where this season everybody's going to be kneeling during the National Anthem. Now, could college football, the players usually don't come, don't come out right. for the anthem. Now, does that, will that, does that change or not? But in the NFL, we're going to see every team is going to kneel. And there's going to be a lot of talk about that. But I think here locally, them just doing that and getting out there and showing it that it, you know, that, that it really matters, I think, I think is a really good thing. And I think it probably help. I think that movement is probably going to help a lot more people that maybe were hesitant to get on board to actually get getting on board when you have not only what Cal's doing, I mean, we could get into that, but also, um, the football team really kind of jumping, you know, headfirst into it. No, no, you're you're exactly right, and I, it's 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 it also like the the kind of selfish side of me is also kind of happy that while outsiders might you know want to have this uh, view of Kentucky through the gory road lens, like oh they're just a bunch of races with eight offer up. It, just in the last five years, you had the, the Trailblazer statue erected. The SEC really went out of their way to celebrate it. Uh, Wilbur Hackett gets his degree, you know, like two or three weeks ago. And, and then you have Stoops and Marrow and co. wearing Black Lives Matter shirts. And what I like, too, is that uh, Courtney Love and Landon Young spoke. And it kind of speaks to what Vince said on KSR uh, a few weeks ago. And... It's that this isn't just, you know, black people protesting. It's black folks, it's white folks. It's the whole, you know, it wasn't the entire team because not everybody was there. But you you saw them come together as a collective group. That was encouraging. And the thing I never thought of like it is just how diverse Kentucky's coaching staff is before. I don't know if you'd heard of this, but Vince was like, well, the old quota used to be you had to have one black coach, one on offense and one on defense. Well, for Kentucky, like, there's always been two or three on each side and like both strength coaches are African-Americans and they probably spend as much time with kids as anybody. Um, so, you know, there isn't this some sort of hesitancy to, to speak out about what's happening because of, you know, some sort of prejudices that may have been, uh, you know, thinly veiled prejudices that were unknown because they, they couldn't be there. <laughs> there wasn't like a system for them to even be in place from the start. So, uh, I thought that if if nothing else, it helped manifest some things, uh, you know, that we we otherwise didn't know. Yeah, you bring up the strength coaches, which is a good point, which is something I think we're going to talk about a little later. But like, that's not really a common thing, even from my, at least my my little knowledge of strength coaches. Most of those guys are white, so to have two African American yeah. strength coaches is pretty much a rarity, and they're like co-strength head strength coaches i think edmund has the title but by all accounts like it's kind of a two-headed monster running the thing with him and mark hill Corey edmund and mark hill they have they have their things kind of delineated but like for the most part it's two guys running the show yeah i mean they're paying them both as kind of like you know head guys right right so yeah i mean it's just i think what you're seeing with stoops is just kind of what behind the scenes is stuff you don't see every day, but stuff that makes you realize like he's, he's built to succeed in the, the position he's in. You know, for, being a head coach is not all X's and O's. It's a lot, a lot of it's very little of that. A lot of it's being able to lead people and push people mm-hmm. in the right direction and being up, being able to stand up for people when they need it. One of the best things I like is about Stoops is when some when one of his players gets hurt or does something stupid, like when Jordan Jones tried to rip off Lamar Jackson's head, or Denzel <laughs> Ware was throwing a trash can, yeah, and and some media members here in our city went absolutely bonkers, saying that they demand that they have a punishment 
or whatnot. And Snoops just doesn't he doesn't buy, he doesn't take a any bait into that. Yeah. He, he handles it, you know, in house. Which sometimes that can that can be frowned upon, and that can bring some unnecessary heat to him, especially kinda, if they're not winning games. It kind of did with the cash thing this year at the Florida game. That's another one. That's yeah. that's that's another one. They handle that in. They do that in house, and that's something I really respect. I think that's how all that stuff should be handled. I don't think they need to be delivering punishments to eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids uh, over, you know, over a press conference or a tweet or a news release. Like if they do something serious, like when Marcus Walker got busted for pushing heavy weight, <laughs> yes, that needed to be, he needed to be kicked off the team, and that needed to be a news release. But some of this other stuff. Right. Um, they do stuff that are going to embarrass you, but Stoops is not going to embarrass them. He's going to – he's the face of the program. He's going to take the heat, and then they'll handle all that stuff indoors. And I think that's one of his best qualities, and I think it just – it showed through even more uh, over this past week when they did the march. So, uh, and, and to kind of start to slowly transition away, I think sometimes that gets – portrayed in a negative light you know you, you think back to bobby bowden or the way things were at the yeah. u back then oh they're just a bunch of thugs you know that that would be the kind of uh just catch-all phrase that people would tag on to them but uh, so, there was a I, I i believe it was an iowa football player who said you know they're wanting us to buy into a culture that's not our culture it's a different culture and I think the way that Stoops uses it is like, hey, you know, we have to handle things a certain way in order for these kids to have a little bit of wiggle room. You know, they, they have freedom on social media. There's a there's a lot of things uh, like that. So I, I think in, in that instance, he he doesn't try to to keep them in a box. And there was another thing that was real subtle because I think you know when people are like. Um, Hey, uh, these th- this doesn't sound racist to me. Uh, there there are certain things that are really kind of messed up that shouldn't be a part of football. And uh, a guy by the name of Chase Goodbread, I believe is his name, or he, he's yes. I fall for yeah, I fall yeah. for NFL draft stuff. And yeah. once upon a time, he uh, covered the Wake Forest beat. Um, so in that, there was a. <laughs> There was a, essentially what happened is that he shared this old story and it was from 2000 and when it was when Jim Grobe was coaching there and he essentially he was like cut your dreads or get off the team like that was a team policy and like that's messed up it just is and that was something that was generally accepted around college football and that just can't be the case anymore and I know that was from 2000 that's obviously a different time but those are the kind of little things that just don't cut it. Uh, anymore like you, you just can't do that anymore and I think we're seeing that pop up elsewhere as long as you know just the, when it's not just the egregious somebody saying the n-word which is obviously a no-go but there's what I'm trying to say is there's a spectrum of bad things and at this point in time we got to cut them all out everybody has a voice now in social media it's uh, one of the good things and it can it can be a bad thing though if you if it's used incorrectly or if you don't know um if you're if you don't know if you're reading the right stuff or not but everybody has a voice now and you cannot you can't just you can't take that power away i mean, iowa it got leaked out uh, that they were on the schools that wouldn't let their players tweet then if they would let them tweet it'd be a one tweet per month kind of thing that has to get approved through whatever that's and they, crazy Guys couldn't wear earrings in the building. Probably had you know a hair rules like you mentioned, like no dreads or anything like that, and some all other different kinds of rules. And now we're seeing a program in Iowa that is kind of applauded for its culture, yeah, for its identity, for its stability, for every for an overachieving type type of program. A, a program that recruits start in the thirties and forties, but it's consistently winning eight, nine games. And every few years they're, they're up in the top 10 and they're winning 10 games. And a Kirk Ferentz, the longest tenured head coach in college football, their strength coach, Chris Dorch is the highest paid strength coach. And he's been there like since, since day one. second or third. Year. Yeah. He's been yeah. there forever. Their offensive coordinator is Kirk Ferentz's kid. 
Their defensive coordinator has been there for 15 years. I mean, it's it's one of the programs that, like, when Kentucky was starting this rebuild with Snoops, you look to Iowa and be like, why couldn't Kentucky kind of be the Iowa and the SEC? They're in the right division. They can recruit a certain a certain type of style, and they've kind of, you know, Snoops coming from Iowa, they kind of they kind of have the same kind of blueprint that they're building. Mm-hmm. But but what they're how they're operating is a very old school way that people looked like looked at that you that's the way you have to win you have to instill a mil, militaristic type discipline um, you have you have to keep things dead serious so people were walking the straight and narrow and that's the way to win and it's hard to argue against it but now they're getting pushback for it and now it's a lot of players speaking out of the culture specifically the black players of the culture and even the white players supporting the black players saying that a lot of this stuff um, is true, some of the allegations. So it's really kind of opening Pandora's box a little bit in the college football world. And that's why I really say it's the kind of a little welcome to 2020 moment. You just, like, how things are treated, even when we were in college, Nick, mm-hmm. you, you can't do now. It's just, it's different. It's, they evolve with the times. Now yeah. it's, we see in the NBA, the player empowerment movement. And now that's becoming even more bigger in every aspect with name image likeness coming in. The players are going to have power, the most power they've ever had. And with power comes a voice and a voice that people, a lot of people are going to listen to. So how you go about running your program has to be different than it was even seven years, five, seven years ago. Well, and, to your point, I, I like I, I like like that you said like you know it goes into nil rights and the whole nine yards. I mean that's going to give players even more power. And you know what? Here's the thing: look, they should have more power. The coaches are getting paid. I mean, how much is Stoops making? Like six million or something next year? Or am I crazy? That's yeah. That gets back to the whole thing, the amateurism thing. You can't you can't sit. We can't sit here and say they shouldn't get paid anymore. Not when Dabo's making eight million dollars a year. Eight nine million dollars a year, not when Calipari's making what nine million dollars a year, nine ten million dollars a year. Like, there's enough money. To, like, they should be getting some of this cut. Well, you know what and, I'm saying? And I don't want to make it get this down into a uh, it, 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 should we pay players or not? But to that point, you're just seeing the imbalance of there's a bunch of uh, for the most part, you know, you don't count stipend and book or whatever, but it's unpaid labor working for millionaires and. When people start to notice this imbalance and get fed up with it, they start using their voice. And social media has made it to where that players' voices are more powerful than ever before. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Like some of the the things that were happening there, it's I like look at I like to to think of the smaller things more so than the big things. Cause you can see, like, if somebody is going to just call you blatantly a thug or something, like what what the hell? Like that's just a bunch of BS. But the little things where you're less likely to speak up, I think that can be detrimental to the program success as a whole because you don't have players that are willing to have conversations back and forth. And that's when we go back to the Stoops thing. Cal's the same way. I like when players and coaches get to screaming back and forth at each other. Like I feel like that's the sign of a healthy relationship. Now you know, obviously, it's much different than a marriage like it. But you've got to be able to have open and honest conversations. And in that setting of sports, sometimes it involves screaming at each other. And if you're running a program uh, in the old school way, that, that's just it's not going to fly. It's not going to work. Absolutely. And when you look at um, some of these programs facing heat, they're, they're, they're going to have to be some programs that have to change some things. I mean, you look at Clemson, and all we ever hear about is how good Clemson's culture is. Like, yeah. that's culture, culture, culture. And then their coach, who's very upfront about his faith and speaking out and all this stuff, yeah, kind of goes into hiding for, what is it, four or five days. That's and the thing that kill. I, I, I'm sorry, Lucky, but just when you're going to go up here and be, you know, Bible bumper, thumper, and just, you know, Drop Jesus. He's a big Jesus guy. You know what? To each their own. He's a big religion guy. More power to you. I'm happy for you. But you can't go and talk out of that side of your mouth and then go and shut up the other side of your mouth when things are difficult. And that's the part that made me mad about it all. 
Luckett. It's it's less about the T-shirt where he was supposedly uh, – there was a picture that got leaked of him at some resort that had a shirt that said, Football Matters. And it's more about you're going to be so profound about how Jesus shapes your everyday life, but then you're just going to let your assistant release a statement once Ish hits the fan, and you're going to let your quarterback – way down more uh, thought-provoking words than you are. Like, come on, Dabo. Sorry, I just I, – I, Well, part I, of the I, point, I, Nick, is <laughs> like these guys are football coaches, but the money's so big now that they they have to take on a bigger role. Like, you know, like you're saying, Mark Stoops is making five, six million dollars a year. Like, he's got to be bigger than just – you know, drawing up a blitz on a third and 12. Like, he's, there's other <laughs> stuff you have to do. So, but for me, this crazy thing about it is, like, we've had three three programs here with Iowa, Clemson, and then Utah. All three of these programs are just applauded for getting the most out of their players, being, you know, culture kind of kings, and producing NFL talent. And it turns out, like, they've they've also pissed off a lot of their players. <laughs> so and that they're all speak they're all speaking out now and so you just it's different like how you go about disciplining i think that's really what we're getting to here the discipline area of how you treat people you just you have to, it's you could do that like saying the n-word is never okay right um but doing stuff like saying you can't wear earrings or you can't you know have your hair cut a certain way like you could do that stuff few years ago i just don't think now yeah. in the society we live in you just you just can't really i mean you can do it but you're just gonna get um a lot of negative feedback that probably it's not just not worth it well i think to the point is is like uh i, I know some people when they'll see cal like screaming on the sidelines a lot of times he's screaming at the guys that he knows that that's the buttons they need to push like i kind of needed you know i needed somebody screaming at me to a point but then there's a point where it get, becomes demoralizing. And I think that's a coach's job to try to find that balance. But I think where you can really take somebody out is some of the like remarks where you're trying to maybe be relatable or say a joke. Like well, like one of them, like a guy had on like a, a face thing. He's like, oh, you're going to rob a bank? And like yeah. you, you might think that that's like a, a funny little joke and you're just trying to like, you know, bust each other. One other's of those cops. cold face masks is what he's referring to. Yeah, it's hell. It's cold as it's it's ice. It's always cold in Iowa. You cannot convince me that there's ever good weather in Iowa. You just can't. It's either burning hot or freezing cold. There's no in between. And that was the remark that somebody made. And there's a certain line where you just can't cross, and they crossed it far too often. And and like it, I I do think, uh, just to further your point, you can still discipline kids, but you just gotta go about it in a different way. And you know what? That, that was the same thing we were saying 20 years ago when Bob Knight was choking players. Like, mm-hmm. just the, the line has just moved. On episode 613 and 11 personnel, we'll probably be saying this <laughs> in another way that you can't do, you just can't do anymore. So, I mean, the yeah. world just, I mean, the world changes all the time. So, you just, you have to evolve. And I think for college football, this has kind of just been a very eye opening thing for a lot of people. And it happening you- at programs you probably wouldn't think it was going to happen at. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, the most surprising part. But also, uh, Dabo is getting up there with Scott Frost and me. I don't know what it is about him, but just like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, the us the against whole, the world thing gets a little old after, you know, that, you're pulling in five, you're nationally recruiting five stars from all over the country. That that started it, and then this whole thing, like. This has been else, a bad, bad week for Dabo. He's been getting crushed. Well, because well, here's, I think part of it is, is his ego, like, he could have easily just said, hey, like, uh, uh, like he, if you're openly, like, being like, you know what, I'm ignorant to some of these things, and I've got to work to fix them. People accept that, but his ego is too big to do that. Like, it just is. And that's why, like, I, well, I know people had some comments to about COVID-19, too. Yeah. Well, it's because comments it's, about that. It's that damn ego of his, man. And. You know, like, I know some of it is just, you know, uh, he's he's a product of how he grew up. But, I mean, the way that Pat Forty put it, and people like to give him a lot of crap, but he had a great column on it. Uh, if y'all haven't read it yet, you, you should. It was, I mean, 
But just the fact that like Trevor Lawrence gets it better than Dabo shows you that some of it is a sign of the times, but Dabo just has to be more willing to embrace that there's change and you can't just be so static. You have to be dynamic as a coach. That's what makes the best one successful. So, and again, Freaking it gets back to the, a lot of it gets to the money. Like you just, you're more than a coach now. It's just, yeah. that's, that's what it is. You gotta, you get paid that money to step up and take some hard questions and to answer for why one of your coaches um, did something he shouldn't have been doing for multiple yeah. sources. Now, like we, we talked briefly about, you know, like the easiest way to put it is just the nature of discipline. So, like, I think old school thinking, like, uh, I remember hearing Howard Schnell, my, my high school ball coach, Mark Sander, was, he still holds the record record for most tackles in a game at UofL. I think he has the record all time. I'm not certain. But he had, like, something like 39 in one game back in the late 80s. He's a, a crazy guy. Um, but he they had something under Schnellenberger. He called it, I, I think he called it the Breakfast Club. And it was essentially... If you got in trouble, you had breakfast club for a week, and it was show up at 6 a.m. and run stadium stairs until you puked kind of thing. And, yeah, that that's not a thing anymore. Like, that, that's you can't do that. Do you know what they do now for punishment like it whenever somebody screws up? What is that? They roll the field. Now, have you ever seen this happen before? Are you talking about like lay down and roll the hundred yes. yards? Yes, yes, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, and I used to see it more often when like we would do kind of media stuff. Uh, we we don't do it as much outside anymore. But man, I I remember the first time I showed up to a practice and I was like, "What are they doing? Like, is that supposed to be hard?" I always remember just thinking like, "Why don't they just hurry up and get it over with?" And I tried rolling like five yards. It's absolutely miserable. Yeah, I would not want. I would not want to do that. <laughs> I mean, you get so dizzy. You've already been sweating all day, and then you got to roll around on those hot pellets on the turf. Just absolutely gross. I pulled up uh, some Mark Sanders stats for you. Oh, okay. Now he did not have. He's not up there in a single game. Tom Jackson way- of Sunday Night Countdown fame had thirty tackles in a single game. But Sander, he had one hundred sixty-seven tackles in a season. Okay. And he ranked second in program history with 488 career tackles. <laughs> That's crazy. 488. And the guy ahead of him played in the 60s. Oh, man. And, I mean, the first <laughs> modern – I mean, you don't even – the first modern-day player you get is Curry Burns, who I believe was a safety, and he's down there at 346. So, some of these tackle numbers you'll see – um, that our guy Freddie kind of shows out, throws out sometimes. They were just, I guess it was just different because everybody ran the ball. That yeah. guys could just collect uh, more tackles um, because because you don't see guys getting you know 150 tackles on the reg anymore. Yeah, Jim Kovach was a uh, he was he's UK's all time leading tackler. That record's ever getting touched. Christian Alt played when Freddie did. He was second. I think some of it, like it was like you want to talk about just gap football. Like it was a lot of just. Bodies. Well, free up the linebackers or safeties or whoever, and then they and would then they go make, make plays. Tackles. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, I, you know what? We might as well get to it now. Uh, because Marty Moore had going... 183 tackles in 1991. That is freaking insane. <laughs> well, somebody who had almost those numbers, it was only a decade ago, was Danny Trevathan. He had mm-hmm. 140 in consecutive yeah. seasons. Yeah. And like, he was a monster. And what was crazy, he was the guy that made my list for five most underrated players since 2000. Winston Guy had 100 and 120 in those two years. So you had two guys taking up more than 250 tackles in a season. Yeah, there were there was a reason both those guys were all, all league. Yeah, I mean, I think they were both, like, top three uh, at the time in tackles. And I think they were also the, like, two two of the people that understood what the hell Rick Minner was trying to do on defense. Uh, Trevathan had 287 tackles combined in 2010 and 2011. <laughs> That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. A UK Hall of Famer uh, coming up this yeah, he's year. he's a bad dude. He's a bad man. Uh, still playing for Dub Bears uh, almost 10 years now in the league, which is kind of crazy. Um, but uh, Winston Guy, he made my 
uh, underrated list because just that production he had was crazy. And he was such a good athlete. Like, I, some of it's probably biased because I had some friends that were a little bit younger than him that played with him at Lexcath. And Winston's stories just never got old. But he, he was a freak athlete who, you know, if not for him, I mean, Joker doesn't go bowling in that first year. Uh, I mean, that team, they had five stars. Hartline, Cobb, Derek Locke, and then on defense, Trevathan and Winston Guy. And they, Chris Matthews, they, yeah. Yeah, and Chris Matthews. So we'll, we'll say six. But, man, th- those guys put the team on their back and really produced. And they won some big football games for UK that year. Yeah, that 2010 team, I think, if Brooks stays one more season, I think they have got a real shot to win the East. Yeah, win. hell, we that was our what-ifs that we talked about mm-hmm. uh, last week. Who are some of the guys you think are – some of the most underrated over the last two decades. Like I really do like your Juice Johnson one because when you look at just the all-time stats, like he's up there. Yeah. He was really solid there. I think he had 50 catches three seasons in a row, 50-plus catches or 45-plus catches. Um, he was really good. One currently on the team, now I think it's probably you can't really say it anymore um, because he's starting to get the notoriety, but like Drake Jackson came in the class of 2016. Everybody was talking about Landon Young. Mm-hmm. And Cash Daniel, and he just turned out to be, you know, an absolute rock in the middle of that offense. Because 2017, they were a mess, and then he stepped in, and ever since he stepped in, um, they've been in a really good spot. Oh man, I, I, I forgot really about the snapping about problem. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was the thing. It's like, hey, quit snapping the ball. Yeah, I mean, if he's playing against that. Florida, they uh, they won the game 2017. Yeah, yeah, and and you look at the reason why that's a good one is underrated I think it falls under undervalued or overlooked like I feel like those are all synonyms but underrated is the one that gets thrown around the most often but I think it really comes down to players being overlooked because of their supporting cast because when Mm -hmm. you go through this run you're probably not going to list Drake Jackson as one of the best guys I you know because he was so consistent he was so steady you almost forgot about him but we don't understand the yeah, kind of significance he's very easy to take somebody like that for granted yeah yeah and uh and i think to juice's point even more so is that you're never going to think about passing yards i mean uh, when you all watch a list of cuffs you're gonna laugh at one of the categories but like passing has not really been the mo of the mark stoops era and the fact that one of those guys is right up there with a bunch of air raid guys uh you know and dicky lot so he's fourth in receptions and I think fifth in receiving yards and it's like Craig East is at the top on each of them and then it's Derek Abney Keenan Burton and Randall Cobb or Dickie Lyons some some version of that and Juice is right up there with the best of the bunch he was just very what I would say about uh, Juice was he was just very steady his whole career yeah certainly wasn't wasn't Uh, ever really wasn't ever really hurt was always there and was just a solid guy they could lean on for four straight seasons I had a lot of guys reach out to me about running backs, and I think by the nature of the position, we never underrate them. Like, it's hard for me to put a running back in this category. Somebody wanted me to throw in Derek Homer, um, but, like, he didn't get the kind of touches he needed to. He was also mostly pre-2000 uh, because they had Anthony White around. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you can make an argument that Anthony White was underrated because most of his yards came as receptions uh, and like I think one year he had just as many. I think he was at a thousand receiving and a thousand rushing. Uh, had one of those kind of seasons. The yeah. only running back I put in there is Artus Pender because he was almost like a one-hit wonder. And yeah, one season. In that year, you, people like unless you were there for it. Like I remember that year with the whole stadium going tooms. But most just remember Jared throwing the ball over his head and Derek Abney returning punts for touchdowns. He was just a workhorse. I mean, he had a Benny Snell type year. Just yeah, close to three hundred carries, fourteen hundred yards, five yards a pop, and just <laughs> a guy they could just they really the offense ran through him that season for the most part. Yeah, and it and it was able to open up things for Jared to be able to let it rip. Uh, mm-hmm. The another one that somebody mentioned was Raphael Little, but like I don't know, I I don't certainly yeah. don't think he's underrated. Just yeah, just because if he does, I would have I would have had him on my. That's probably one I would. Okay, which is fair enough, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll accept. He that. was really good. He the big thing with little injuries, man. Injuries. If he could have stayed healthy, I mean, he could probably, he probably missed, had a bunch of records. 
what, three or four games a year? Yeah, I mean, I'll, 2004 played nine games, 2005, 11 games, 2006, nine games, 2007, 10 games. Yeah, and I, I believe Mississippi State was one of the games he didn't play. Um, and Tony Dixon he missed the LSU. Playing. He missed the LSU game. Yeah, man. I mean, like, Tony Dixon was a solid running back, and but Little's another one, his receiving ability. Uh, he Little was such was, a great he was, pass catcher. Yeah, he, was, he was a difference maker. Yeah, yeah. In there, so. So, okay, yeah, I'll, mean, I'll – He caught over 30. He caught 46 balls in 2005, 31 receptions in 2006, 42 man. receptions in 2007. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of some other ones that were kind of in contention uh, on my list because I was trying to get some deep cuts back in those early 2000s um, just because, you know, you, you could say some recent names a lot, uh, like Courtney Love. I think just almost from just his significance as a as a captain, uh, he was a great leader for the team. I think that intangible played a significant role. Uh, hell, I'm trying to think of some others off the top of my head, but none are coming to me. I mean, Stephen Johnson, but I think he gets his his due, pr- yeah. props locally. But <laughs> he, for he people got his, outside his outside of the program, they wouldn't look at it like that. But you know, he changed the whole. Thing. Without him, who knows what happens. Yeah, and I think Mike Hartline, just from a, like, has anybody had as good a passing season since Mike Hartline? Like, has any quarterback compared? No. I mean, 2010. (laughs) Like, Hartline was really solid, but that's not a season that should be, like, going on a decade if not reproducing those results. (laughs) But here we are going into 2020, still waiting. Somebody, yeah, for a quarterback to have a year like that. Well, right now we are in, in the middle of an unprecedented run of, at a different position, and that is at edge. And I think a lot of it is thanks to one Brad White. And I actually spoke Adam Luckett to his latest prodigy, the guy that Stoops is talking about. We talked about him some last week, but uh, we spent about twenty minutes on Zoom with Jamar Boogie Watson. And we're going to let you listen to that conversation now. Uh, Without further ado, one Boogie Watson. Nick Roush now happy to be joined by an outside linebacker for the University of Kentucky. His name is Jamar Watson, but you know him as Boogie. Boogie, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you? I'm great. I just made a quick grocery run. I'm ready to roll. And I know you've been busy this morning. Y'all are back. You're back on campus. How did it feel to to get back on the field with your teammates for the first time? Well, I still I work out at two thirty, so uh, I know I've been touching a couple guys that that's already been in there. You know, it's a lot small group, so spread out throughout the day. So I'm yeah. at two thirty, so I'm I'm just excited, uh, ready to go, ready to see Coach Ed, see Coach Hill, see all the guys. It's got to be kind of weird. Like most of the time, you're begrudgingly just oh man. Got to have right. Coach Ed and Coach Hill get on you. I, I bet right. it's a different emotion. Like, hey, we finally get oh, yeah. to go back to normal. Yeah, for sure. You know, like during, during spring ball and doing winter workouts, it's like, man, what Coach Ed got for us today, how you going to kill us today. But, you know, like today I'm excited to see him. You know, I'm going to joke with me and be excited to see me as well. So I'm just excited to get back, get back to normal. So now are you all doing kind of position uh, group type deals or is it just uh, random with like dudes your size? Honestly, honestly, that's a great question. I'm not sure, but I know um, I was talking to Jordan Wright and JJ and they're both at 1230. So I, I probably won't be about position. Um, so mm-hmm. how has it, how difficult has it been just staying in touch with everybody throughout this? I'm sure you go from kind of seeing everybody all the time every day to having to text all the time. Like, I, I bet it's tough. All right, definitely different, you know, because, you know, in the locker room, it's, it's guys that you, you wouldn't you probably wouldn't text or, or talk to on FaceTime, but you just have kind of a unique unique locker room and practice field relationship, you know, whether it's a, a scout team player um, from the opposing side of the ball that you, you know, see more often on the season, things like that. You know, it's those type of relationships that, you know, I miss personally. Sure, other guys missed because you know the guys you know your position group, you know, we still have position meetings and things like that. So we kind of stayed, stayed mm-hmm. jet out and throughout the whole quarantine. But you know, it's a couple guys here and there that you just you know you wouldn't maybe talk to um, every day on FaceTime or through text, but right. that's just that locker room unique relationship is something I miss. 
Like, you can't jaw with the DBs as easily, right. you know, because they're always mouthing. And it's not right. the same if it's over text or something like that. Right. So, uh, I, I, I'm just – I'm glad you all get to be back, even if it is under weirder circumstances, just to, to get that camaraderie aspect yeah. back. And and also, I'm sure you're tired of doing workouts with bands and, like, body <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. You know, I, I imagine to see how, how I feel when I get on that bar today. You know, it's kind of a bit – you know, and got a weight room um, about 10 minutes away that, I, that I've hit throughout the quarantine. But just being under there with Coach Ed, just, just a different feeling. Now, I, I've got a couple questions that I don't think I've ever asked you before. And I don't know how we made it this far. You're going into your final season. I don't think I've ever asked you, where where'd you get the name Boogie? All right. I don't think you had me either. But um, this is <laughs> this cool, unique story. Me and um, another guy playing basketball on the AU team, we had the same name. Um, well, his was Jamal. Mine was Jamal. His was Jamal. And our coach was just kind of like, we both played a lot of minutes and he yelled at us. We both would always look. We both would always think he's talking to us. But one day, it was like one of us had to come up with a nickname. My father's nickname was Buki with the K. So my, my mm. little sister, I mean, my older sister um, swapped out the K with the G. You know, it kind of just stuck since then. <laughs> I like that. I can just imagine your your coach. Like, I bet y'all are little kids. He's just like, I'm tired of getting this Jamal Jamar mixed up. We got to do something different. So, uh, okay. I, I don't know how I never heard that story before. It did, I was curious if it had anything to do with your tap dancing background. Yeah, that's a most of You don't still, like, throw those around any anymore, do you? The tap dance? Yeah. Nah, I don't have my shoes anymore. If I have my shoes, I, I, I got hard wheel, hard wheel floors in my, my apartment out here. So if I have my shoes, I probably would get, get a little bit in there and there. So uh, now that, like, I, I think things were kind of going – you had the normal offseason up to a certain point, and then you missed, like, a month of spring practice. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you all kind of do individual meetings with your position coach at the end of the year, correct? Yeah. So – when you're sitting down at a meeting with Coach White, what's what's he kind of saying, hey, Boogie, you did this great. Like, I'm really happy. Keep doing this. What were some of the things he liked about what you did last year? Uh, this, my pass rushes, um, I, he, he liked my – I made all my rushes look the same. Um, you know, I, I used different moves, but all of them kind of start off the same. That's something that we practice a lot, you know, throughout the season and in the camp. But at the same time, that that's where my biggest um, corrections come from is not finishing on some of those pass rushes. You know, I, sometimes I'll beat the tackle and not strain and get the sack, or you know, my my body goes in a relaxed mode as I beat the tackle and let the quarterback slip away. So I kind of the biggest thing that he compliments me on is also, you know, the biggest critique as well. Okay, yeah, and that that's kind of where I was going to go next. Is like, what what is it that is it just an effort thing, or is there something that you can kind of go back and look on film and watch and say, all right. This is what I should have done differently here. Right. Uh, he, he, did, he did a great job of putting clips together um, that kind of all similarly um, go hand in hand. Um, like the bandy play, pretty sure you remember when I had a clean sack on the quarterback and just um, I didn't reach. You know, I let, I let the pressure to tight end blocking me, you know, um, taking too far off the pocket. And I just could have shamed and reached around the, around the corner and would have had a sack. So just things, small things like that. He put together clips in there. You know, he put together the, all my missed tackles. Um, all, all my my run blocking, um, I take on tackles on the run, run game as well. So he just done a great job of making me let, allowing me to see you know, the things I can improve. Now, everybody knows that. I mean, I don't think it's uh, especially after what Josh did that Coach White knows what the hell he's talking about when it comes to X's and O's. But I don't. You know, we don't get to see exactly what those fundamentals are and stuff like that. What's like just one kind of basic fundamental? that uh, you've kind of learned by working with Coach White? Um, the simple, most simple thing I, I think is, is hand placement. You know, um, he talks about elbows being out, thumbs being up. You know, a simple thing like that we take on the block. A lot of guys think they got to go down, you know, to, to apply force. But we've got your thumbs up. So you have a lot more force than if you have your thumbs either parallel or down. Um, so just things like that, keeping your elbows in, you take on blocks and things, playing in the phone booth. Um, Probably the biggest thing he taught me, you know, a lot of guys think have to wind up and do all these, you know, YouTube moves, <laughs> you know, things like that. Right. But he's just taught me how to play in a phone booth, you know, how everything should be right up on your body. And that's the biggest thing that he's taught me. Interesting, interesting. Now, I'm, I'm curious in practice, who's uh, who's harder to rush, uh, Kennard or Landon? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it's so different. 
Um, in practice, I would say, I would say DK is a very patient um, pass, pass blocker. So in practice, you know, he, he won't shoot his hands until maybe you're three yards up the field. So, so for him, you have to get a lot of bull rush. You have to try to get in his chest um, early with the, in the snap count because he, he's not going to show his scars too early ever, you know, especially in practice. Um, I honestly don't know if that's, if that's what he does in the game all the time. But in practice, he, he's a very patient setter. Um, he wants you to show your hands first, and then, and then he'll, he'll make a move after that. So I think um, Landon is, will give you more to work with, give you more mm-hmm. to do. You can do more because he'll show you his hand. And he, he's a strong guy, a strong kid, so he, he's not worried about putting his hands on you because he thinks he can, he can, he can put, <laughs> put him on you and lock you up. So I think you get, you get more opportunities to do certain rushes against Landon where DK kind of forced into a, a bull rush or, 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 or a speed rush around the corner because he's so patient. I never thought of it that way, just – how one goes about pass blocking and just when, like you said, when they show their hands, because at first I just think, well, Landon, his arms are so long, like trying to, to be able to get separation from him when he can just lock on to you, that's gotta be difficult. Now you see those guys in practice. Are you all able to, I know schematically you can see what they're doing, but are you able to see how an offensive tackle uh, like on film, are you able to to pick up their tendencies like that just by watching film? That's one of the, Coach White. That's probably he has a PhD in studying tackles. Like I, I, he he sees things. He, he watched three reps of a player and, and you know break down his whole game in three reps. You know, so that's that's, that's probably one of the biggest things that I missed to Coach White as well. Just his ability to break down tackles. Um, going to a game week and he he knows everything they're doing. They move their knee an inch. You know, you know, and things like that. So definitely he's he's helping with Landon and Jerry Kennard too because those are the guys we rush against the most. Sir. That's uh, wow! I you know you don't consider that until you right. you, you, you say it like that. So I I appreciate that. Um, I I wanted to run this this quote by you that Coach Stoops actually said. I don't know. It was probably like a month ago or something. But he right. said that you know he he he's saying some nice things about you, and he said you were doing some elite things not just as a pass rusher because that's what everybody looks at and gets all the right. attention, but he has really been taking it to another level playing on his feet. What what does he exactly mean by that? Uh, just, just being more urgent and, and knowing where I'm precise where I'm going. Um, I feel like my sophomore year and, and spring of going into last season, uh, I kind of was dancing around, you know, wasn't moving with, with, with enough conviction, you know, I feel like in my body. Um, and I just feel like now when I go to go make a stun inside, I'm gone. I'm going to drop to the hook and get in there. You know, there's no wasted movement. And I, and I just think I was very precise with, with everything I was doing. And it felt like, too, so last summer you went on the, the service trip to Ethiopia. Right. Uh, and the, just from the, the, the limited discussion you've had about it, it sounded like it had a profound impact. How, how do you think that yeah. helped you develop as, as a, a person and a, and a football player? Uh, just as a person, I'm, I'm just so much more grateful now. Um, like, the way I live is, is just so modest uh, ever since. Even before I went to Ethiopia, I was a modest person. I feel like I just take I went to Ethiopia to another level. Um, I, um, they, they live off, off nothing really there. Um, they make use of everything, I should say. And I just kind of tried to um, build that here with me and myself. Um, just trying to I make use of everything, recycle things, use things as much as I can, get the most out of um, like things I purchase and stuff like that. So I feel like the life is just made more, more grateful, more understanding. Um, and then with everything going on right now, you know, it, uh, it just takes me back. You know, to that third world country, seeing how they go through what they what they go through, and we have resources to to live a completely different life. But you know, it's things that the power power influencing that, that's messing things up. But that's another another topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's also one of those things that, like, you know, it is bad. We're stuck inside, but right. it could be worse. You know, right. we could be stuck right. living in a garbage pile. It. De- yeah. You also reminded me of something my nana used to do. She would. Her Tupperware was all like leftover, like Cool Whip right. <laughs> containers and stuff like that. Right. She she's always reusing stuff. Uh, there was yeah. nothing that, that couldn't go to waste. Um, I, I'm curious just to get back to football too. Stoops was talking about working in space, but when you're down on the line of scrimmage, you got some athletes inside now. You know, yeah. there's some uh, Phil's coming back next year. Right. Uh, JP's moving down. It's a defensive end. How how can that give you all? Uh, 
more options to rush the passer when you've got guys like that playing in? Uh, that'd be ver- very versatile. You know, um, I feel like, you know, like in that fail, the 49ers, um, their D-line was very versatile. They had a lot of guys who can rush in a lot of different areas, and they dominated the NFL in pass rush um, just because they had so many guys with versatile ability to rush from the inside, three-tech, four-tech, you know, outside of nine, you know, and they, they did a lot of different things, you know, with that versatile front. So I feel like with me, Jordan Wright, Pascal, Phil, J.J. Weaver, you know, Loom, you know, we got a lot of guys that can that can rotate and play different positions across the front. And I think if we get multiple up front, then we can, we can reach some havoc. Well, and especially if y'all do the magic thing on third down right. and just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, heck, you can have Josh at the nose. Uh, right. I mean, you know right. what I mean? So right. there's, there's a lot of different options. Uh, yeah. Two guys I did want to ask you about, even though they don't play your position, but Jordan Wright, he really came along strong last year. Right. Uh, you know, it slowly, surely got there. And the same thing with JJ. Even though we only right. saw him in four games, what, what did, right. how did, how did those guys, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, figure it out? Uh, well, I think Jordan, um, he just had to trust Coach White. I kind of, kind of the same way with me. Um, that first spring, uh, that Coach White got here, just kind of really trusted what he's telling you, knowing that it's gonna make a difference. Um, you know. We're kids. We play. We play sports um, our whole life. So we we do things a certain way that we thought was the way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, our whole life. So once a guy comes from NFL, NFL too, it comes with you a different term. You know, it takes a while to process that. But once you do process that, it takes to another to another level. So I think for me and also Jordan Wright, just having different coaches when we first got here and then him coming in. You know, after we transition to his 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 terminology and doing things his way. We both took our game to the next level, and I think it's a blessing that you know JJ comes in the freshman and hopefully gets him for three, four years. Well, and it feels like too that it's almost like a timing thing where uh, you kind of go through. You're playing a lot as like a sophomore, and it's not necessarily great. And then there's like a breakthrough because it almost happened the same with Josh, where it's like, all right, slow and steady, and then boom, good year, and now let's blow up and let's have 15 sacks or whatever. Hope, 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 Dub and JJ can follow follow the footsteps. Now, do sure. you got a do you got a do you got a number you want this year? Do you, do you do stuff like that? Do you have a number? That's, uh, yeah, I, de- I definitely got a number. Well, I, myself, but I, I got a number. Are you are you, are you willing to share it, or are you gonna keep that to yourself? I'm gonna keep it to myself. Keep it to myself. I don't want to jinx it, put it out there. But I definitely, definitely got a number. Definitely now, double digits. Okay, okay. Now, with some of those younger guys right now. Uh, First off, who is – I know Jared was working behind you last year. Who, who's who's right. running with twos at the Sam now? Uh, it's KD. KD, Sam, JJ, Jack with the twos. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And then it, how does Xavier Peters fit into the equation? Is he running Jack, Sam, or uh, – Well, he, he's a little bit of both. Um, he's versatile enough to do both. But he, I think he's mainly a Jack. He, he, okay. He's probably better than Jack. You know, bigger body, strong. Got you. Yeah, I, I – you know. KD was one of those guys. I remember watching his film, being like, "Hey, they're all talking about JJ, but this KD right. guy's pretty good." What, right. what, what does he do well, and, and where is he still kind of figuring things out? Uh, I think he, he he has great bend around the edge as a pass rusher. Um, he he very, bends very well, um, and I think just the dropping scheme for him was is completely different. Um, as a, as a high school, he rushed a lot, and he didn't really have the drop from from a Sam position as a high schooler. And, I think just that is the biggest thing for him, just getting the, getting the drop down, getting the terminology down, and understand the versatility of the position. Um, you know, if you just send him as a dropper, I think I mean as a rusher, he'll be good. Or if you just send him as a dropper, he'll be good. But he's combining the two with that right, process. Right. I feel like it's one of those things too that the first time you you kind of get out there on an island and you're right. looking, you think you know what you're doing, right. and then some dude comes out of nowhere. Like I, yeah. I feel you're like. <laughs> Um, whereas, you know, just putting your hand down and running after a quarterback. Right. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So I, I'm, I'm going to let you go, but I do. How, um, uh, just what, what's it like just preparing for this season, knowing that there's a lot of talent, but also how weird things have been. How do you, how do you try to process right. it all and prepare? Uh, I'm just in, intrigued to see how it all plays out. You know, I want to know what the fan situation is going to be, you know, what the traveling situation is going to be. Um, I'm just, I'm just inter- interested to see how it all pans out. 
So I was just trying to go in every day, you know, starting the day and get my body back in, in tip-top shape, um, getting the weight room again, getting, getting running again. Just try to see how everything plays out. Yeah, and it's one thing, too, that, you know, we think about, well, they're around other people. I'm, surely they get over it, but I'd, I'd still think that you're probably a little worried about, you know, hopping on a plane going to Florida. Right. That's something that yeah. So, um, but e- either way, it's it's kind of weird. But at least you know this is the first setback, one day at a time, and right. you'll be out there r- running up that hill in the heat of the day in no time. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you haven't missed that hill very much. Uh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you catching up with us, Boogie. Uh, take it easy and best of luck uh, getting back to the workouts. Appreciate. You. Well, look at Boogie Watson. What'd you think? I like to hear some of Boogie's uh, how to read offensive linemen and tendencies and how to get around the edge and how you win in a one-on-one pass rushing situation. I thought that was some good, solid uh, football guy intel. Yeah, and it's one of those things that I hope that the folks at home who like don't know what a bull rush is aren't completely you know thrown off. By and because he gets a little in the lingo, like when he talks about setting blocks and stuff like that. But for the most part, it feels pretty simple. Um, whereas when you see guys in video games, you know, doing the swim move or a spin, like those are good ways to get blocked. And if you watch Josh Allen, he didn't ever have to do a whole lot. He would kind of get that arm in there and then just blow by you. And I, I just I was I was happy that he was able to break down a few techniques, and then the thing that just came to me uh, I was I was very proud of myself because I didn't prepare this question, but hearing him break down the differences between pass rushing versus Kennard and Young, it was I, it fascinated me. Yeah, you you kind of learn why Darren Kennard's about to be probably a first or second round pick here in the next NFL draft. <laughs> yeah. He's real deal. I mean, I'm also trying to imagine too. Being able to have the balance and the strength to get three steps back and then take on an athlete like Boogie Watson. Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I mean, offensive line, a lot of it's about rhythm and timing. And he talks about how Gennard's tough because he makes you make that first move because he's got a good enough drop set to get back, not get over overextended or get leaned but too far back in. You almost have to bull rush him, and that's probably what Kennard wants because he's probably thinks he's going to be stronger than most mm-hmm. edge rushers he's facing. So if he gets you in the bull rush, he's he's going to win. Where you have to beat him is try to get him overextended, maybe beat him inside or drop a fake an inside move and hit him with a spin or you know just straight outside rush or swim. Right, but it's right. hard to do that because what from what Boogie says, what I took from that is that he's a really good setter. So he yeah. gets out. He's not. He's very patient. And he probably has very quick hands. If he's able to wait that long, where he does have to make a move, he's a he's a quick striker. Mm-hmm. So, from the sounds of it, he's a pain in the ass to deal with in practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And then that isn't even to discount Landon. Like Landon's good in his own right, but Landon can do it in a much different way. He just he's a big old boy, big tree. But big what I heard do from, fall hard. What, yeah. What I heard from Landon was you can get him with an outside rush, but you have to commit to it early because he's going he's gonna try as fast as possible to get his hands on you. Yeah, and once and, he gets his hands on you, it's done. If he gets him in the right spot, he's strong enough to negate anything you're going to do. But if you can if you can get a quick, you know, set off the ball, you can probably get him in a speed rush situation. I also would like to point out that, I mean, it was a great line when he said that Brad White's got a PhD in pass rush. <laughs> yeah, a, that was good. That's a great line. But when when he talked about hand placement, if whenever I get let into practice once in a blue moon, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon either. They are, hand placement is like 10 minutes of a drill. And it's, if he's stopping the drill, and so you had your hand up here, and if it goes a little bit higher, then you this, and then you that, and it's one thing to the next. It's it's really fun and, and entertaining to watch, um, and I just I couldn't emphasize that point enough. Um, 
and something just escaped my mind. Oh yeah, speaking of practice, they're they're back in practice technically, kind of, sort of in a way. They had their first workout. What was it today, Monday? Yeah, they had it today. And uh, as Boogie said, like they're they've got them kind of staggered out. Uh, so it's very small groups. I, I I haven't gotten confirmation yet, but it looks like they were all working out in mass, and that does seem kind of miserable. Um, so you know. I do, <laughs> I do feel bad for them for a certain extent, but you know you got to do what you got to do to be safe and, and be able to be on the field. You got to get them weights lifted. Got to get in there, pump some iron. But yeah, I would not <laughs> want to have a mask on while I'm getting after it in the weight room, there, Mister Roush. Yeah, throwing some iron around. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think we need to get out of here, uh, but we do appreciate y'all. Uh, for hanging out with us on this 46th episode of 11 Personnel. And we hope you'll get a little double dose by watching us play a little list of cuffs. There's there's a lot of sports in there, so I I think you all are going to enjoy it. Uh, I know I had plenty of fun. I had plenty of fun talking football with you tonight, Mr. Lockett. Always a ball, my guy. Always a blast. Well, until next time, remember, folks, go Cats and go Crowley.